Scripture today from Psalm 137, verses 1 through 6. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we wrap up the Old Testament in our journey for for salvation history. We've looked at the fall and how the real problem in this world is sin. Not just the bad things that we do, but our separation from God, our broken relationship with God. And this separation leads to physical separation. Adam and Eve are exiled. They're kicked out of the garden. And we've seen how God launched this plan to save the world First through a man named Abraham and his family. Later this family becomes a group of tribes and the tribes end up as slaves in Egypt. Moses led the people out of Egypt and out of slavery and into the promised land. And others would help as Israel uh, took over that promised land. We watched the cycle of the judges where Israel could not follow God but did right in their own eyes and every generation A nation would come and and, uh, push Israel around or take them over until a judge could lead them to freedom after they asked for God's help. Last week, we looked at the monarchy and how the kings of Israel struggle the same as everywhere. They they struggle to, to save, to fix the actual sin problem, the separation from God, because all these leaders have the same sin problem. They bring the problem with them to the solutions. Still, God gives grace. He calls the people back. He pursues humanity. Today, we look at a very difficult period in Israel's history, the exile. This is really the all is lost moment of the Old Testament, where all those promises and all that hope that's been building about God saving his people come to a place where it looks like there is no hope, where the story will simply stop, and where the people are brought to the brink of destruction. After those first three kings, Saul, David, and then David's son Solomon, the the nation of Israel is divided into two, with Israel being the nation in the north and Judah being the nation in the south. And they, they each have their own kings and and they, they fight against enemies and sometimes come together a little bit, but, but often fight with each other as well. And this made Israel weak. And, and Israel was this small nation already. So to fight with each other and not be unified made them even weaker. And they are in this very important strategic location, this land bridge between Africa and Asia and Europe. And so many... Many other nations, many other empires wanted to control that land. And and especially being divided, Israel had no chance to stand up against these empires. And and what happened was several empires came out of what is modern-day Iraq. 
First, the nation of Babylon rose to power and conquered that northern state of Israel. It happened over time, beginning around 740 BCE, but was, it was really completed in about uh, 722 BCE, when the northern capital, the capital of that northern nation of Israel, called Samaria, was conquered. They did not, at that time, take the southern nation of Judah, but, but they did punish them, push them around, and control them. The Assyrians took over the, the empire of the Babylonians and attacked that southern nation of Judah, starting at about 597 BCE, and finally destroying Jerusalem and the temple and uh, really laying Judah, the, the southern nation, to waste in about 586 BCE. Now, now, what these nations would do, what these empires would do in order to control their territory is uh, they would have forced deportation. They would exile. They would kick out. And it wouldn't be everybody, but they would kick out the elite, the wealthy, the, uh, the people who come from royal lines, the uh, business owners, and they would take all the elites and spread them out across the empire. That way, there would be less chance of an uprising because all the leaders, all the key important people have moved around. And then the empire would grow in wealth because all these leaders would go and lead and develop and build businesses in other places. And what was left was just the common people. And then what they would do is move people into uh, the land that was taken over. So they would exile people from other places to a place like Israel. At the same time, they would take away all religious and worshiping practices of the people. So you couldn't worship your God. You had to worship the Assyrian or the Babylonian gods. They would destroy the temples and outlaw religious practices. Some of our famous Sunday school stories come from this time period, where Daniel won't give up his prayer to God and ends up in a lion's den, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into a fiery furnace for not bowing to the king. These are the stories that come out of this period of exile when they were trying to control who everyone was worshiping. The Babylonians in particular wiped out a lot of Jewish culture from that northern nation, partly because of how long those people stayed in exile, um, and partially because they moved in very small groups or as individuals or families and spread throughout the empire. The Assyrians tended to move communities and move groups, and so people stuck around, stuck together a little bit. Really, after this exile, the tribes of Israel are lost. Um, People have handed down to them that they are from these different tribes and what their family lineage was. But nobody, nobody knows what happened to these tribes because people don't talk about the tribes anymore. They've sort of lost their sense of being a tribe. The Babylonians also moved people to the land, in particular the area of Samaria. So when you, when you fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus, uh, in Jesus' time, the Samaritans are not well liked, it's because the Samaritans are partly Jewish but partly uh, from these other nations, partly Babylonian or from other people that the Babylonians had sent there. Even those left in the land, though they're not technically exiled, feel exiled. 
I mean, they've been uprooted. Their leaders are gone. They're not allowed to worship, particularly after the temple is destroyed. And so uh, imagine losing your culture, losing your leadership, losing the temple, the ability to go and worship. Would it even feel like your land anymore? No, no, for Israel, they felt uprooted, upended, lost. Like the, they looked outside, and even though they were home, the, the world didn't look like their world anymore. And so if you were in exile, if you were in one of these places, you felt that very strongly. But if you were home, you felt it almost as much. Even in the land, they felt deported. They were exiles in place. I wonder if we can identify with those exiles. I mean, I mean, we're not exiled. There's no other nation taking us over. None of us have been kicked out of our homes. In fact, right now we're all stuck in our homes. But can we identify with these people that feel uprooted, unended? It doesn't take a lot of imagination for us to put ourselves into those feelings of Israel. The coronavirus and and all this scare and and having to be at home and social distancing, all this stuff makes us feel like this is not our world. This seems strange. I keep hearing people talk about, I, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. Isn't it odd that we're worshiping, that we're listening to a sermon online instead of in person? That we are cut off from our worship, from our temple, from our worship space. But I want to argue that this was coming before the coronavirus. I think many of us have been getting the sense that this is not the world I grew up in. This is not the United States I was born into. This is not the way the church used to be, where people just seem to not go to church and church isn't important to them. For many of us, there's been this bubbling sense of of exile, of of, of homelessness, that this is not my home even though It's the same place. We feel uprooted. We feel upended. And I think think that the uh, coronavirus and everything that's going on seems to only be uh, elevating that sense. It didn't create it. So here's the good news about exile. Israel does come home. The Assyrians send people into exile in small groups and communities, and a lot of those people end up coming together as communities and sticking it out. Uh, Some of those people manage to keep their heritage, and after some 70 years, a number of people are allowed to return under the new empire, the Persians. We know from the the names and from the stories of, of Ezra and Nehemiah in particular, as they lead the the coming back and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, that some of those people had never been to the promised land. Some of them have Assyrian or Babylonian names, in fact. So how did Israel keep it together during exile? Well, we can say a few things. First, they lamented their situation. There's a book of the Bible called Lamentations, and it's these cries out to God. It's a complaint. It's, it's grief. It's voicing their sadness. And, and I think that's part of it. The need to voice those problems and those struggles. Then, even in exile, they seem to come together as communities. They worship together in local gatherings. 
but they also then reimagine their faith. They go back to these old stories and they read about creation and the exile from the Garden of Eden and start to read themselves into that situation. They read about Moses and the Exodus and they think that's what we need. We need a new Exodus. It's during this time that the prophetic books of the Old Testament are written. Jeremiah writes of the coming Assyrian exile. Ezekiel writes because he was taken into exile. These prophets don't write to predict the future, um, as we often think prophets do, but, but they really write to help Israel understand what's happening. What's going on? Where are we heading? And how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? How do we find faith in the struggles? And so some of the most creative works of Scripture, some of the most creative theology in the whole Bible comes out of exile, as Israel is having to rethink and reimagine their faith. Then, when the people do return, they have to rebuild. And again, there's these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, and and often in Jewish Bibles and, and in older Bibles, they're put together as one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra comes and he builds the altar, he builds the temple, he begins to to reconstitute um, the worship practices of Israel. Nehemiah builds the walls, he builds the, uh, the city back up so that it's defensible again, not just so that it can be protected and isolated, but it's so that it can be strong and have a future and be a place of comfort to others. I would suggest that this is part of our path in exile. I think we need to lament what's happening. Uh, I I think there's a sense in which we have been trying to deny that the world is changing, particularly in the church, but but all over the place. And I, I think now's the time to lament, to look around and actually admit and maybe mourn a little bit that the world is different than when I grew up or when you grew up. And that our kids and our grandkids are growing up into an America, into a world, into a faith, into a church that just doesn't fit us. It's a time, I think, just like those those communities in exile, to come together, to bond, and to reimagine our faith in some new ways for new times. To come back to some of these old Bible stories, like I'm doing with the exile right now, and reread them. And think about them and learn to live them as our stories. We need new acts of poetry. We need new ways of thinking about theology. I think some of the most creative moments in church history may be needed for us in the next 30 years. And we need to rebuild the church, what it is and how it works, to rebuild it for this new world, to remember what has come before, and to also look creatively to the future. And perhaps the greatest impact of this original exile on salvation history was a growing sense of imagination over a coming Savior. The prophets in exile take a look at at this world and say, we can't fix this ourselves. We cannot fix this world. We are going to have to have God do something. God's going to have to fix it. And so they started, even through their tears, to imagine what this coming Savior would look like, this anointed one. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah. In in Greek, the word is Christ. 
but that someone's going to have to come and fix this ultimate sin problem. Somebody who can't have the sin problem themselves and can actually fix the separation from God. God would have to do this himself. And so the prophets look ahead. Jeremiah said this would be one who would bring a new covenant. Daniel said that it would be a coming son of man, that it would be a human being. Hosea looks back at Exodus and says, this one's going to have to come out of Egypt like Israel did. Micah says this one's going to have to be born in Bethlehem like David was. Zechariah said he was going to have to be a king and this king was going to be betrayed. Malachi said he would come with healing in his wings. And Isaiah probably writes more about the Messiah than anyone else. Said he would have to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Isaiah writes about him being a suffering servant, needing to die as a sacrifice for sin. So much, of, so much of Israel survives the exile. A number of people are then able to come back under the Persians. But Israel is never quite set in their land. And for 400 years, there's no prophecy. There's no more scripture written. It's these 400 years of silence. During that time, the, Greek takes, the Greeks take over the Persian Empire. Then the Romans take over the Greek Empire. And then... Under the Roman Empire, Jesus is born. This Messiah who would really fix the problem. And we can see what those prophets could only glimpse at, could only get a piece of. That Jesus is the answer. That the Messiah has come. And this is important for us to remember as we feel in exile, as we feel homeless, as we feel upended and uprooted, That our home is not a place. Our home is a person. Our hope is not stability and normal. Our hope is a savior. We may be exiles in our land, but we know the Messiah. We know we are right with God. So let us lament our losses in this time. But let us also huddle together. Reimagine our faith and rebuild our lives and our church with Jesus as our Christ and Messiah at the center. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are with us in exile. Thank you that though we feel upended and uprooted, you are our strength. Be that for us. Lord, as we mourn, as we lament the changes in our world, Give us a sense of peace and a sense of hope. May we come together and build a church even stronger for our children and for our grandchildren. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I know these are tough times. People are on edge and anxious, and we all feel uprooted in these times. But even in the middle of those, may the grace of Christ our Savior the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you, comfort you, and guide you. Amen.